This is The Podcasters Club, brought to you by Precision Podcasting. I am your host, Kane Power. Back in the early 2000s, I was a super angsty teenager, and Jane Yee was a presenter on New Zealand television. Jane hosted shows about music, and although I would swear I didn't like any of the music on TV, I remember watching those shows. It was like the Kiwi version of MTV, and it was free to air, and sometimes they played some new metal. Oh yeah. My point is, Jane was, and is, a celebrity. She's currently on the TVNZ show Treasure Island Fans vs Faves, which I just found out also features Angela Bloomfield, and has therefore just gained a new viewer. But Jane is a celebrity in that very New Zealand way, where she's famous enough that most people would recognise her, but down to earth enough to be a nice person and do nice things, like agree to be a guest on a podcast about podcasting. I'm telling you this because Jane herself didn't, and I wanted to fill in some of the blanks before you hear from Jane. I also want to tell you that in 1998, I saw a very clearly intoxicated Angela Bloomfield in Hillcrest Burger King with various other Shortland Street cast, who I obviously failed to recognise due to their proximity to Angela, all getting a late night snack. I didn't talk to her, although since she was drunk in Hillcrest Burger King late at night, I'm assuming she's the same type of celebrity that Jane is. Anyway, (laughs) Jane is now a central figure in the New Zealand podcast industry by virtue of her role as head of podcasts at one of the country's most popular news websites and podcast networks, The Spin-Off. She also hosts her own long-running show, The Real Pod. I'll let Jane take it from here. Kia ora, my name's Jane Yee. I am head of podcasts at The Spin-Off, and I arrived here in a typically roundabout fashion because it's a bizarre thing to have as the end of um, a career trajectory, given that it's such a small market. But I've been very lucky. I have a background in broadcasting through uh, doing a communications degree at AUT many moons ago, and then going into television and radio presenting. Uh, From there, I went into PR, publicity at a record label, took some time off to spend with the kids. And during that time, I knocked on my friend Duncan Greaves' door when he started up this funny little tally blog called The Spin-Off. And I said, I think we should recap The Bachelor NZ as a podcast. And that's how it started. I started as a podcast host. Yeah, it was um, (laughs) 2015. So The Real Pod, which back then was called The Fantasy Suite, has now been going for nearly eight years. And we still recap bad reality television and we still love it. Um, But from that grew a bunch of other series into what has now become the Spinoff Podcast Network. I spent a year living in LA and came back uh, around COVID times and got in touch with Duncan and said, I'm seeing what people are doing overseas with podcasts and you guys have got kind of a jump. You really need to do something more with them. And he was like, why don't you come and work for us? And uh, that's where I've been since 2020 as head of podcasts here at the Spinoff. That's amazing. Super interesting that it's just sort of happened organically at such a booming time. So as your role of head of podcast at Spinoff, mm. what do you actually do? Like what's your main sort of job and your day-to-day? That's such a good question and not one I would have been able to answer when I first started because it was a role that didn't exist until I had it. Yeah. And so I've had the good fortune of being able to make my own role in many ways. 
which is also has its challenges. But on a day-to-day basis, I'm dealing with obviously just general um, overseeing of our native podcast, which is the stuff that comes out of the spin-off podcast network, things such as Gone by Lunchtime, The Real Pod, The Fold, Business is Boring and so on. We've got to a point now where we've managed to resource up a bit and I have two staff that report to me and they're both full-time sort of producers. One works primarily technically, the other does technical and a little bit of kind of administrative production stuff as well. So I've been able to hand off things like studio bookings and that kind of thing to a large degree, but I do keep an, an overall eye on it. Aside from that, there's things like strategy for the network, quality control stuff like ear checking and making sure everything is as it should be, working in with our editorial team to see what we can do to cross-promote on the site. And outside of that, there's this whole commercial world that we also have been working in, which is a mix of brand integration with our products, but also doing a bunch of white label stuff purely as kind of a podcast production house for different brands. And somewhere in there trying to make money, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a really modern role. Head of podcasting is, especially in New Zealand, like maybe in the US, you might have found it, you know, a a handful of head of podcasts um, for some companies 10 years ago. But in New Zealand, it's really, really new. When I saw that that's what your role was, it kind of took me by surprise. It's so cool and like really exciting for the podcasting industry, but it's definitely uncommon. Yeah, for sure. And it's something that I think is quite unique to the New Zealand market that I really enjoy is that because we're all sort of in unknown waters, the kind of competitive nature that you might ordinarily find across different media, whether it be, you know, print, online, TV, radio, there is this weird unification that happens with all of the podcast publishers in this country where we all just want everyone to do well because what, you know, what's good for everyone else Um, is also good for us kind of thing. So at the moment, I feel like the industry is really in a place where we are just trying to propel podcasting and get primarily advertisers because there are listeners there, right? We know people are listening. It's getting very traditional advertisers to kind of start being a bit more forward thinking and follow the trends that are happening all over the world and get on board with podcasting, which is such an immersive media consumption experience Mm. that it has so much potential in terms of advertisers being able to get their message through to listeners. Yeah. It's just this huge market that I feel like we're only just starting to tap into it. Yeah. Yeah. In New Zealand, I think, you know, overseas, it's been, they've been going at it for a, a little while longer than us. Absolutely. In terms of like the projects that you work on and the network of the spinoff and what programming you choose to create for it, how does that happen? Like, How do you select new projects? Um, Is there like a submission process? Walk me through that. It's really pretty ad hoc, to be perfectly honest with you. Our kind of existing stable of titles, a few of which have been around for quite some time, across that time we've come to know that it takes time to grow a listenership. And New Zealand is a very small market. So if you're wanting to turn over advertising in the way that other big publishers of the world do, They basically just have to make a good product, get enough listeners, and they can sell inventory. Whereas we have to look at more creative models because there's just not enough money in inventory to be able to resource enterprise podcasting in this country. Not at the moment anyway. We've had to look at, you know, bringing sponsors on board and and that sort of thing. So there's always been, um, in my time here at the spinoff, there's been sort of this element of being able to make something that's very commercially viable. But we are also 
extremely protective of the spin-off brand. So we have editorial oversight, basically. We won't publish anything on our network that we don't have editorial oversight on. So if an advertiser came to us with a whole bunch of money and said, we want to make this podcast about our product, it's not something that necessarily would fit with us, then we just won't do it. We'd try to find a way to get the money out of them somehow. <laughs> and at which point we'll say, hey, look, we can make the podcast for you if you want to find your own distribution channels. We're happy to do that as a production house. But in terms of our network, we're quite particular. And I think that's what our listeners and fans of the spinoff, that's what they want from us. So so to that end, we will often, you know, I'll have someone come to me saying, I've got a pitch for a podcast. I've already made three episodes. Here's how I see it going. And for us at that point, it's like, okay, is this sponsorable? Is this something that's going to get a big enough listenership that we can commit to it and we can help resource it to start with and then hope that the inventory comes or a sponsor comes in time? Mm. And a lot of the times it's not, to be perfectly frank, and it's not because there aren't amazing ideas out there. It's just that once you get to a stage where you're paying staff and you're running a studio, there are costs involved that obviously far outweigh just setting up a microphone in your bedroom. Mm. There are also, we'll get people just come with an idea, just a a simple concept. They've never recorded anything before. They've never had any podcasting experience. And in those cases, it's really just a matter of like looking at the idea, talking to the person, seeing if we think that there's something there that we can develop together. We've had things get to various stages of development and just fall over because all the pieces didn't come together in the right way. And then there are other things that we've come up with ourselves. We've taken out to sponsors. We've had sponsors come to us with ideas that we've kind of managed to find a a happy middle ground on in terms of their needs and our needs as a publisher. And finally, there's things like um, New Zealand On Air funding, and we have had our very first big chunky narrative podcast project funded recently through New Zealand On Air, which we're really, really excited about. And prior to that, we had a series called Nair, which was a Te Ao Māori podcast funded through New Zealand On Air as part of the Public Interest Journalism Fund. So the money comes from all different places. The pitches come from all different places. And equally, I also keep my eyes and ears out and sometimes approach people about various different things as well, either existing talent or talent I think would be amazing in a podcast setting. So if someone got in touch with you Mm. and said, I have this amazing idea for a podcast and you thought, you know what, that's really viable. It's going to align with our brand. Um, It's going to align with our audience. It's going to align with what we're trying to do. We think we want to be a part of it. Say it's one of those people that maybe they've, they've had a little bit of experience, not a lot. They've been doing stuff in their bedroom. What would like the process be to work with that sort of person? How would you like, what sort of development would you go through to actually start forming a podcast? Well, I'm a pretty firm believer in that the person who has the idea is the best person for the job to bring it behind the microphone. And I have a lot of respect for, you know, the radio players out there, but I think there's a really big difference between being on mic in a radio studio uh, versus podcasting. I think they're two entirely different talents. I think a lot of people can straddle both. A lot of people can only do one or the other. A lot of people can't do either. (laughs) So I never write off anyone just because they haven't had experience, you know? Like we will, I'll meet with them, have a look at their idea, I'll take it away, think about whether, you know, what needs to change or not, and just collaborate with them on the development of the idea. Sometimes it's just something I know is not going to work for us for various reasons, and I will quite happily tell them why 
and perhaps even give them some advice on where else they might be able to go that might be a better fit and that sort of thing. But if the idea, as you say, if it does all align, if all the stars align and everything's looking really good, we basically just develop it together and then draw it up into a pitch deck, figure out all the budgeting, how much it will cost to make, then give that then to our commercial team and take it out to sponsors. And all this process can take a really long time. Yeah. So a lot of people who are listening to this right now might go, but the spin-off's only got like five podcasts. But we have so many things. <laughs> we have so many irons in the fire. So last year was a real strategic development year for us where, A, we spent a bit of time and money getting into a new studio mm. and also doing a bunch of commercial projects that would help us resource up so that we can put into place some of the plans that we have this year, which I'm not going to share with you because it's commercially <laughs> sensitive. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's new things coming. Um, and again, one of the limitations of being an enterprise podcasting is it's not it's not quite as easy as just flicking on the mic in your bedroom and then just chucking it up in your podcast host. You know, there's a whole sort of process that things have to go through at this end and we have to manage different schedules and our resources. We're still a very small team. So the wheels don't turn as quickly as I'd always like from idea generation to getting it out on air. But Mm. sometimes in that process as well, you do sort of sort the wheat from the chaff People can sometimes lose interest in their projects, their own projects that they came to us with, you know, (laughs) and things can get really quiet. And then suddenly you're like, okay, you know, they might be busy with something else in life or what have you. And and sometimes our editorial direction whiplashes into a completely different tack and we, we have to deliver some bad news to people to say, look, this was a great idea and we were really keen, but things have changed. You know, we've got recession, we've got, you know, all sorts of different things that can impact the flow of a project. So I'm, it sounds really doom and gloom, eh? But <laughs> We'll get past it, it's fine. We'll get past it, ultimately. <laughs> ultimately, it's just a really collaborative process. And then um, basically once we get sort of some funding or we can commit to making it happen with some resource, then we just, away we go. Yeah. You know, then yeah. it's just all on. Then it becomes either. Then it does just become a matter of like booking some studio time you know, (laughs) figuring out a launch plan, getting in there, maybe making a pilot. Okay, that's exactly where I wanted to go next. Launch plan also, love those two words. What sort of roles are involved in that? Like, I know that, you know, most of the people listening to this are going to be independent podcasters and they'll be maybe thinking one day, you know, I'd love to work with a team to do a commercial podcast, a commercial viable podcast. What sort of involved in the launch plan? Like, and what sort of people are you, you know, you're talking about editorial. uh, Do they have a hand in it? Uh, Is there script? you know, engineers, PR, marketing, what's that team like? In an ideal world, a launch plan involves setting your, you know, your launch date and working backwards from there. And you need to take into account, because it's all very well having the most amazing podcast in the world. But if no one's listening to it, then you're screwed. So you do have to make some noise about it on launch. The other thing is that somewhere like uh, Apple Podcasts, their charts are based on you subscriptions. So that's why you see a lot of new podcasts in the charts all the time, because that's when they've made their big loud noise and got, you know, a lot of people signing up and subscribing when they first launch. So you really have that kind of like that very narrow window to make some noise. And so we do all the typical things like press releases. We obviously have the benefit of being able to splash it all over our website. We have newsletters that we can promote our stuff in. If we're working with a commercial partner, 
like um, when Spark Lab came on board as sponsors of Businesses Boring, we were able to take advantage of like some of their billboard space and that kind of thing. That's an anomaly for us even. That's not going to be for your, you know, your hobby podcaster or your new sort of podcaster. That's not going to be something that they have access to. So social media is, you know, is the key, right? And video is pretty crucial to these days as well. So if you can get some video content up, some social media content up, you know, think really carefully about your podcast titles, your episode descriptions, you know, optimize any SEO stuff that you have going with supporting web pages, get the word out to people who you think might enjoy it. And don't be afraid to ask them to spread the word and tell them what you want them to say. Tell them to say, follow on Spotify if that's your call to action, run giveaways, that kind of thing. And and you'd be amazed at what people enter competitions for. It can be something that doesn't cost you very much, but you can make that tiny investment into a little prize and get like a lot of people on board and get them following you on socials and so on. So there's many different ways and many different kind of scales to which you can take these things. But the most important thing is to have a plan. I know it's so exciting just to like get that first episode out there. But have have a launch plan and then also have a long-term plan for your podcast. Is it a limited series? Are you releasing weekly? Are you going to drop two episodes at once for anyone who's just like can't wait for more and then drop them every two days? Is this going to be something you want to do every week for the foreseeable future? And if it is, can you actually do that? You know, like, do you have the time to be able to put into that? Are you going to be able to do the research necessary every single week to pump that out? If not, maybe make it fortnightly. You know, there's so many things. I think one of the biggest problems, particularly for new podcasters, and and we see it through the statistics of how many podcasts are out there versus how many are actually active, is that so many people go out with a lot of excitement and enthusiasm and then it gets a bit hard. Life gets in the way. There's no money coming from this. Maybe there's not as many listens as you'd like. If you're serious about it, you've got to look at the long term and you have to know not to get discouraged by like a small number of listeners for the first wee while. You just got to keep grinding. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, some people, you know, sometimes it kicks off in the first couple of weeks and, and you're golden. Sometimes it takes a few years before totally. you see things happen. Something you touched on made me think of podcasting, you know, I say it sometimes, it's it's almost like a blend of a business, but also like an artistic endeavor. It's like, yeah. you know, treating, um, you know, a small business, but also being a musician or something. And there's that vulnerability and kind of um, hesitancy to self-promote. Yeah. And to, as you said, you know, just ask people to share it. And like, you would be surprised on, on how many people will share it. But also like when you're doing that every week for every episode, please share, please share. Hey, messaging people can, you know, you can start to feel a bit, I don't know, like you're encroaching on people or, or pushing your agenda on people. It's a strange space to be in that whole self-promotion space. You don't want to be seen as promoting yourself too much. I totally get that. And it's very New Zealand thing yeah. as well to be very, oh don't, oh, don't worry about, oh, it's just this little thing I'm doing. Yeah, But... If you're not going to back yourself, why should anyone else back you? And I think we live in a world where we're really, like, where everyone's listening to podcasts from all over the globe. And we're quite used to hearing, hey, if you like this episode, tell a friend, subscribe, you know, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Like, everyone else is doing that. So mm. don't think that just because you're doing it, it's going to be any more jarring than what everyone else is already used to. I mean, I absolutely understand perhaps 
don't spam all your friends and family every time you release an episode and fire out like an email and hit them up on Facebook and hit them up on Instagram and TikTok and all that. The reality is if people are following you on social media, they're going to be interested in what you have to say anyway. So that's basically you putting it out there and they can choose whether or not to listen, right? Like Mm. I think once you start kind of getting into people's email inboxes or DMs, that's probably starting to get a bit desperate. But you can use those occasions for anything significant. If you've got a really interesting guest or a really meaty topic or something, there's no problem in like jumping into your audience's inboxes and going, hey, I really think you should know about this one. Mm. But in terms of posting on your socials, just go nuts, I reckon. Like people have the choice to follow you or not. And at the end of the day, you've got to believe in your product. I think for something like us, for um, our silly little reality TV podcast, we have a really amazing community. And we say to them all the time, if you don't support our podcast, it won't exist. So we actually need you guys to do this. And they get it because they don't want to lose you know, their friends in their ears week after week. So they do. They spread the word and they leave reviews and all that kind of thing. And it it does really make a difference. But sometimes it's just a matter of telling people to do it. It is really just like, hey, please support me, (laughs) you know? Yeah, totally. And you've put in all of this work. Like it's so much work you know, to do it, especially an ongoing podcast every single week or even every fortnight, especially when you're doing it yourself. Why not? Tell people about it. Yeah, on that note, Kane, like just to the point about like doing an ongoing podcast versus a limited series. Mm. I do get a lot of pitches for limited series because they seem easy. And so many times it's it's kind of such a niche topic that it's not necessarily something that lends itself to being a weekly, fortnightly or even monthly podcast. But the thing to bear in mind with a limited series is that unless it's truly, truly, truly gripping right from the get-go and something that's likely to cause such a stir that everyone shares it around and immediately and it creates a big stir and takes off, it's really hard to build up a listenership over six episodes of something, you know? Yep. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's the kind of thing that you can't expect it to get a big following if you just throw it out into the ether. It's those kinds of series that you really need to like link up to a publisher with who can put in the full force of promotion and marketing behind it. The other thing you can do, I'd love to see more people coming to me with a pilot or an example of what they've made so that I can really get a sense because something on paper or in a pitch or even in a conversation won't necessarily do justice to the work you know that you can do once you're behind the microphone and once you're in the editing suite. Mm. But as soon as I put on my headphones and I'm in that immersive experience, I can really see exactly where it is that you're going, what needs to be tweaked, whether or not it's going to work. Obviously, it's it's a bit chicken and egg because something with a limited series, quite often it will be a really meaty topic that they need resource for and that's why they're coming to us in the first place. The fact of the matter is the spinoff doesn't have money <laughs> to put into resourcing podcasts. We go out commercially anyway and it's very mm. hard for us to sell anything when they don't know what it's about either. So even just kind of a mock-up of how you kind of see it playing out if you've got some big investigation or something is super, super helpful in the pitching process to bigger publishers. And then if you've gone through the motions and you've got your day job and then you're sort of making this big thing on the side and putting the time into making something really awesome, if you can get it as close to the finished product as possible and sell it into someone as is, all the better, honestly. Like if someone came to me with like, I've got this six-part thing that I've already done, I know it can be huge. I listen to it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm hooked. 
that's when I'm going to get really, really excited and throw everything in behind it to make something happen with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 100%. That leads really perfectly into advertising. And I just wanted to touch on that. And we don't need to talk like, you know, specifics and, and actual numbers mm. and stuff. But um, especially in relation to doing a limited run series as opposed to an ongoing podcast, you know, I can kind of see you taking a limited run series and shopping it out you know, mm-hmm. going to Spark or whoever and saying, hey, we've got this series, it aligns with your brand, would you consider posting up some cash for 10 episodes or 8 episodes, whatever it might be, which, which is a bit different saying, would you mind posting up cash for my ongoing podcast? So it's a multi-pronged question. How do you sell your podcasts to potential sponsors? But more importantly, how do you sell the value of your podcast to those sponsors? Like, you know, specifically if you don't have a lot of listeners, but you value them highly as opposed mm-hmm. to a lesion of listeners? Well, this is kind of what we're trying to do as a podcast community. And I'm not saying we're more important than the independents, but certainly the publishers who have got a few different titles under their belts and have existing relationships with agencies and advertisers through their publisher. So for us, obviously, that's the spin-off. You've got staff who have got their podcasts up and running, the Herald, all the radio properties. We actually kind of knock heads together in trying to change the way that advertisers and agencies think about what is valuable in terms of podcasting. And that is the engagement rates. It is the quality over quantity of the messaging. It is taking advantage of a host's relationship and therefore influence over the consumer who's listening. And these things are much more nuanced than X many thousand downloads, you know? But that's the language agencies and advertisers are used to dealing with. They're used to dealing with X many number of impressions, X many number of listeners, X many number of viewers. But with podcasting, it's like, yeah, but what do the people who are listening think? And if you've got 100,000 people listening to something, but only 1,000 of them end up buying your product, you know, like on, say on traditional radio, but then you've got 10,000 people who are really into this podcast and 2,000 of them take on the advice of the the host read to go out and try your product, that's more effective mm. and probably cheaper, you know. So it's just changing the way that people are thinking about, and, and it's happening globally. Like obviously there's no shortage of advertising and sponsorship money out there globally, yeah. but New Zealand, we just a little, it's a little harder to turn the ship here. So, <laughs> you know, we have kind of this understanding amongst us publishers, the people who are running the various podcast departments that we, we'd really like to try and speak to directly to agencies and clients and say, hey, look, here's this opportunity and here is why this is effective. And hopefully that will have a flow on effect to independence, you know, across the whole industry. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, we're pretty particular at the spin-off. So if we do do a sponsorship arrangement, it's got to be something that's a really, really nice marriage and we retain editorial control. So for something like um, When the Facts Change, which is one of our biggest titles, it's an economics podcast. God, I know that sounds boring, but <laughs> our talent is Bernard Hickey, who has this amazing, he's just so enigmatic and has this amazing ability to make things make sense to people like me who have a passing interest in economics. I, I wouldn't even say I've got a passing interest, but by virtue of being a New Zealand citizen or by virtue of living in this country, economics of this country affect me. And so he kind of is able to distill all these kind of like 
Treasury announcements and government press conferences and mortgage rates announcements and all these things and distill them down as like what it means for me without being condescending. And it's and, and he's quite a good storyteller too. So it's a really magic, magic mix of talents that he has and able to get this across. And so with someone like him, he is a really well-respected name in economics. And so we say to our sponsors at Kiwi Bank, look, you are buying into the alignment with Bunataki, and you're mm. also buying into the goodwill that is tied into the spin-off. And both those things, before we even press record, have value to them. On top of that, they get to have some of their own messaging in there. They basically get to own the brand, their logos on the artwork, that kind of thing. And so we steer away from like sponsorships where it's like, here's a podcast about our company and more about like, we're a company that's in this field or even doesn't even have to be in the same field, you know, like in my head, as long as you're reaching the audience that you want to reach, the topic can almost be anything. If you're an advertiser who wants to hit the household shoppers, women aged, I don't know, 25 to 40, then maybe you want to hit a parenting podcast or something like that. But it, you don't have to be a nappy brand or anything. Like, you know, it can you can be a fashion brand who wants to hit, who has a, a big audience of, you know, or a big target audience of that demographic. But you go into a parenting podcast, you wouldn't automatically think it aligns, but that's where the people are listening, right? So I think there's a very, still a very simplified outlook from the advertising industry currently with podcasting is that like, I am a car company, therefore I need to sponsor a podcast about cars. No, you don't. You need to find out who your audience is that you're targeting and maybe it's men 20 to 30 and find out what they like to listen to. And maybe that's something about building or whatever it is, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't have to, you know, you, you can kind of take a step back and get a little bit creative with it. So yep. um, I can't even remember what your question was, Kane. It was that, you've answered it. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, just shut no, up. No, Anything no, to make you stop talking. No, no, totally not. Um, no, that's perfect. I think, you know, it's, it's an individual case by case thing. The toughest thing, you know, people are just going to listen to what you just said and think, yeah, amazing. It's great advice, but how do I assign value to my audience? And yeah. are they worth ten dollars per thousand? Are they worth a thousand dollars per thousand? Like, that's the tricky thing. And I'm not sure yeah. if if there's any like concrete advice you could give around that. Like, yeah, it is tricky. I mean, I think with inventory, you can play it much more traditionally and just go put a price yeah. CPM. You know, per thousand lessons. That's a really cut and dry way to put a value on your product. But at the same time. It's not nuanced. It doesn't take into account. If you get a news podcast, for example, people don't necessarily relate to someone who's just like talking about news events in the same way that they might relate to a parenting podcast where they really, you know, they identify with the host. They feel like they're friends. They may communicate with them on social media and have this relationship with them. Whatever those hosts are doing host reads about in a parenting podcast like that with that sort of relationship with their audience that's going to have a much stronger cut through for an advertiser mm. than someone who just does straight up news podcasts and then goes and tries to flog off a car to someone in the ads. You have to think about effectiveness of the voice of who's hosting. And so to that end, there's so many different variables and yeah. it's really a sales pitch, essentially. You just got to go in there, believe in your own podcast, say what benefit it is to whoever's investing and go from there. Ultimately, the more listeners 
the better. But there's also this problem with a scattergun approach. You know, if you're trying to be all things to all people, you don't really know who your audience actually is. If you are doing a podcast on gaming, you know you can hit up some sponsors who are in that area, and yet they may only be getting 500 people, but they're getting 500 people who are already interested in the area that they're in. Yeah. You know, so there's so many ways you can cut demographics, whether it be age, what they do for a living, economic status, and so on, or if it's down to interest, their personal interest. You know, you've got D&D fans who are like diehard into what they do and willing to spend so much cash on their gameplay. It's still very much we're kind of learning, mm. but what it is is not traditional advertising, and I think that's the key thing. So there's really the kind of are no rules, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. You can really tailor it and as we said, the most basic form of advertising is through inventory or ads, and you can kind of set that up automatically through your podcast provider, whoever that may be. But if you want to kind of make more lump sums and kind of like be able to monetize via sponsorship, that's just basically a bit of hard graft. It's a bit of just reaching out, finding someone who cares about what it is that you're doing. But ultimately, Kane, none of it matters if your podcast is no good. You know what I mean? Like your podcast. (laughs) Think about when you're making your podcast, would I listen to this? <laughs> you know, yeah. would someone who's not me listen to this? You've got to make your podcast quality podcast. Otherwise, no one's going to want to get on board and yep. ultimately no one's going to listen to it. Okay, we, we are going to touch on the elements of a good show very shortly, but um, I just wanted to do one more little part in this realm that we're in around target audience mm. and brand appeal. We've you know touched on that a couple of times, aligning the advertisers with the brand and making sure that you have a similar kind of target audience, Mm. how much does that affect the way that you create podcasts at the spinoff and, you know, how much of your target audience do you consider for each particular show? We have a a kind of a family approach in terms of our podcasts. We're in, they're all in different areas. So we've got politics, we've got business, we've got economics. It actually sounds all very kind of similar. But we've also got silly reality television. Until the season finished recently, we had a Te Māori podcast. We've had a podcast about Breast cancer awareness specifically aimed at young women who don't think that it applies to them, but actually it does. We've had a tradie podcast. We've had all sorts of different things roll through, and we've got plenty more to come. In terms of thinking about our audience, all of those different podcasts, and when I say we have a family approach, is that we kind of do everything with the spin-off voice. So even though it's a really wide variety of topics and a range of different voices, we still have this kind of overarching spin-off approach to everything. And that's kind of the main thing. It's like the spin-off litmus test. Mm-hmm. Because we like to think that were someone listening to one of our podcasts, it might make them interested in one of our other podcasts, and then they go there and it's not like too much of a big shock, completely different direction, you know. That some of the irreverence and some of that kind of like we dabble a lot in high-low, so kind of like highbrow-lowbrow <laughs> coming together at the same time, that kind of approach works really well for us. And we have the advantage, of course, of being able to tap into our reader surveys and that kind of thing to see who's who's reading the spinoff, what they like, and translate that back through our podcast properties. That said, I also, like, my goal is for the spinoff podcast network to be a destination unto itself so mm. that people who aren't necessarily readers of the spinoff can still enjoy our podcast content and um, and come here via whichever means. And perhaps that will lead them to the website ultimately, but um, 
you know, largely as we've been growing, it's been kind of the other way through that people have come through the website and into our podcast. And so we have quite a good idea of who our audience is there. Now it's a matter of like growing our offering to be able to pull in new audiences. Yeah, fair enough. When you are aligned with a different kind of part of a media brand, yeah, you do have simultaneously like a big reach, but then that almost makes things a little bit more complicated in who, who you're actually targeting. It can make it harder to niche down. And I do think we're seeing the rise of niche podcasts. It is really hard to be kind of a very general podcast because you're competing with literally millions of podcasts around the world. So if you're doing a sports podcast, maybe think about what sport do I know the most about? Am I most passionate about? Am I really willing to get in the weeds about? And then it might be that you have some kind of gimmick to go, you might go, okay, it's cricket. Cricket is what I love. But again, is it just talking about cricket or is it doing a listicle of like the 100 greatest batsmen in international cricket ever kind of thing? And doing something that kind of, you know, like can get a niche down a lot more so that you're providing something that's different to what's already out there. Because chances are, if there's a massive international podcast already covering it, they're resourced better to do, yeah. <laughs> to do a job that you maybe can't do. But yeah. you find a little hole there and then you get these really passionate people in, and you just, you never know who's going to hear it and share it. If you don't have the benefit like we do of being able to tap into who our audience is, you can make something for a very specific audience and then you communicate with them. And again, social media is probably the easiest place to do it. Find out what they like. Set up some Google form surveys to see what they're enjoying. Is the length of your podcast too long? Do they like having guests on or do they prefer just hearing like a couple of friends banter and so it's familiar and they know what to expect week after week? There's lots of ways you can kind of do market research that cost you absolutely nothing at all, but it's key because your listeners at the end of the day are the ones who are going to come back or not. And so their opinion really does matter. It's very, I have to say, it's very hard because a lot of the time, especially with the podcast I do, I'm like, this is the kind of podcast I'd listen to. You've got to remember though that you're not every person who's got their ears on your podcast. So it's really important to take in audience feedback. Yeah. And you have to have a good show. And so what what would you consider like, you know, the top three things or the essential things that you need in order to have a show that people would actually want to listen to? Okay. My number one, host is the talent. Host talent is key. Whether that be someone who can carry something on their own or if it's people in a room, a couple of people in a room, the rapport between those people can fly or die. Mm. We have a couple of podcasts on our network where the rapport is just like, I will be rocking in a ball in the corner if one of them leaves because I know we won't be able to recapture <laughs> that just by bringing in someone else, you know? Yeah. So um, it's that magic in a bottle kind of stuff. It's hard to pre-plan, but I think it's just something you really, really need to think about when you're making a podcast is accepting whether or not the talent you have if you're doing it yourself or the talent you're bringing in has got what it takes to carry a series. And it, it sounds so brutal. And look, what I think is is good in magic for what I listen to might be different for your community. You might have a target audience who really love down-the-line, serious, no-nonsense, info-only kind of approach, whereas I like to be really entertained. Like, mm. people listen to podcasts for different reasons. But whatever it is you're trying to achieve and the tone you're trying to achieve with your podcast, make sure you have the talent to match. 
obviously topic and theme and that kind of thing. And, and we've kind of touched on that. I think again, now is the time of niching down into specifics because there's so much out there that's already doing probably what you're thinking of doing and perhaps doing it really, really well. And the other thing has just got to be, um, it flies against everything <laughs> that I do personally, but planning. And I say that I don't plan, but I <laughs> macro plan less than I micro plan. So it is the nature of the spin-off podcast as a whole that we're chat-based or conversation-based podcast. So we don't, it's not relied so much on heavy research and that kind of thing. But I do have a plan for the series as a whole. And we do kind of have systems and operations to make sure things get out when they need to get out. And we look at long-term events that are happening and things that we need to cover in our podcast. In the room, often it's just whatever happens in the room. You know, we fly off, we have a few topics that we'll cover, we'll go off on different tangents and that's fine. Yeah. Have a plan, whether it be you've really planned out each episode or if it's like a plan for the whole series, just some sort of plan. Because I think it is, as I said, so easy just to get excited, jump in, start <laughs> recording, put something out and then go, oh, what are we going to cover next week? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, yeah host talent is key. Being really clear on your audience and your topic for your podcast and then make sure that you're planning. Those are the three things. And there's many other things as well, but get those three things right and you've got a good base. Perfect. Okay, I've just got a couple more for you. What do you see in the next five years in the New Zealand podcasting industry specifically? Like how do you, you know, we've grown so much just in the mm. last two or three years. Um, how do you see us growing in the next five or changing? I think we're going to see a lot of podcasts come and go. I think we're going to see a lot of people, I feel like podcasts are the new cool thing to get involved in. And a lot of people I think are going to, um, are going to give, it a, give it a nudge. And when I say this, I mean from a commercial perspective. I think a lot of advertisers are really interested in, oh, let's invest in podcasting. But I think we're going to see a lot of advertisers making podcasts about their own products. And I think that they're going to, unless they get it right and work with the right people. But what we will see in the next five years is them coming to understand what it is about podcasting that is so valuable and we are going to see a lot more advertising dollars. We're already starting to see it. I think that's going to grow exponentially. Video is going to be huge. People are watching podcasts at a rate like we've never seen before. So YouTube is a, uh, like a huge medium for podcasts. I think we're going to see podcatchers like Spotify and Apple starting to roll out video elements within their apps. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Spotify already are, but I think more it's going to become more accessible to users, not just those who are like signed up to a anchor or what have you. Yeah. Those are the two big things, I think more advertising money, video rollout, which is already huge abroad, but starting on, you know, it's still in its infancy here in Aotearoa. And like, maybe this is wishful thinking, but I really would just love to see more support from audiences of lo the local podcast scene. I'd really like to see listeners championing their favourite podcasts. I'd love to see podcasts championing each other and also doing more appearances on each other's podcasts and that kind of little cross-promotion and just generally like a, a much more supportive and community growth kind of thing happening in yeah. the New Zealand podcast scene. And it's definitely it's definitely happening and it's yep. just a matter of watering it and watching it grow, giving it some sunshine and watching it grow. 100%. And for those who are listening who are based in New Zealand and are in the podcasting industry or are thinking about getting into it, mm. may... 
13th this year, so you have to be listening before May 13th, <laughs> is the New Zealand Podcasting Summit. We had a fantastic event last year, uh, which I spoke at, and this year Jane is going to be speaking as well, yeah. among some other fantastic people. So if you're listening, come down May 13th, New Zealand Podcasting Summit, help our community. Yeah, come say hi, and please don't like anything that I've said about like it being so hard and there's no money and all that put you off because I think that's all a, about to change. I think that, you know, yeah. we're, we're de- definitely at a tipping point where there's going to be start to be money coming in. And also think of all those advertisers who've spent money on traditional media like outdoor or, uh, you know, billboards or TV advertising or radio advertising and suddenly they don't have such a big budget anymore and podcasting is a more affordable option for them, you know? Like yep. we're going to see some of that money come down. Even, even in a recession, there's an opportunity for us here. But ultimately, like truthfully, and I know it's a little bit Pollyanna of me, but if you've got something you love doing, just do it. Yeah. Just, just do it. And you never know when someone will pick it up and run with it and think, God, this is so good. I'm going to tell my friend. And then I'm going to tell my friend. And then that friend's got 200,000 followers on Instagram and they are talking about it. You just never, you never, never know. But there's a kind of therapy in podcasting anyway, in my opinion. So even if you only, even if it's only grandma and you be smacked down the road, <laughs> yeah. there's something about being able to talk into a mic and just express yourself that has value in it in and of itself. Yep. And if you've got anything, like bring it to me. I want to hear it. Especially if you've actually already recorded something. So what are you looking for right now? What's on your list? I mean, I think that the best thing to do is like check out the spin-off and get the vibe, get, see what our cope-up is all about. And then if you think you have something that fits in with that, then, you know, it doesn't hurt to reach out. I'm particularly interested in existing series because we are pretty committed for anything that we have to resource at the moment. So if you've got something that just needs a place to live, I think we're going to probably see more publishers who are creating also take on independence and doing kind of rev share deals with them whereby an independence podcast might sit on the spin-off, for example, as like a friends of the spin-off, but they take care of their all their own production and everything. They deliver a finished product and then we look after kind of selling inventory and we do a rev share deal. I think mm. we'll see more of that kind of thing going forward as well. So that there's kind of like this middle ground between independent and enterprise. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. And finally, Jane, what are you listening to at the moment? What are your favorite pods? Never ask me that <laughs> because I have like the podcasts that I listen to are so embarrassing because it's all just like reality TV stuff. Um, <laughs> research. Uh, <laughs> research. Like I'm obsessed with Sister Wives, which is this like two-bit reality show that's been going for 12 years on TLC and it's rubbish. But the I found this recap podcast called Surviving Sister Wives which I am obsessed with. Um, and I love the podcast so much. It just makes, it elevates the watching experience. And I think I would have given up on Sister Wives a long time ago if I hadn't had the podcast companion. Also, I uh, listened to um, Bachelor Party, which is a Bachelor US recap. <laughs> this is honestly, I'm telling you, it's embarrassing. I listen, obviously, to like a lot of the spin-off podcasts, yeah. not just because I have to, um, but also because I really enjoy them. There's going to be some coverage on I'm on Treasure Island at the moment, which is just another complete random aside. So I'm on Treasure Island fans with faves, and there's some recap podcasts of that going out both via us and the likes of um, NZME and so on. But let me the best thing for me to do, yeah, let me yeah. open my podcatcher and see what I've been listening to. 
Oh, Poog is another great one. So that's Kate Ballant and um, Jacqueline Novak, who are two comedians. It's Poog is goop backwards, so it's kind of like <laughs> their take on wellness. Yeah, cool. Um, but it really is just two mates having a laugh, which I really enjoy. Um, Dear Joan and Jerrica is a very funny uh, comedy am- agony aunt um, podcast, which is just brilliant. In terms of... Um, Locally, Culture Vulture and Shit You Should Care About, who are friends of, nice. sorry, The Shit Show, I should say. Shit You Should Care About is like the overarching grand empire. The Shit yep. Show is the podcast and then there's Culture Vulture, which is your kind of pop culture explained and recap podcast um, that they do, which is great. Uh, look, I could go on. It's, it's funny how you forget what you've listened to. There's some really yeah. good... Um, I really got into kind of less true crime, but more those kind of like swindler type, um, catfishy type <laughs> podcasts. So yeah. Queen of the Con, Sweet Bobby, um, really enjoyed those. Do you know Mordecai? Uh, yeah. Cool. That's enough, eh? It's Is loads. that enough recommendations? Yeah, I was I'm like, just thinking of all the um, links that I have to put in the show notes. Oh, so, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. So, yeah, for those, those listening, uh, there will be links to the, in the show notes uh, on my website. Uh, also, the real, pod, the real pod. Of course, essential... that'll, be the, that'll be the first link on the <laughs> Your page. essential reality <laughs> TV recap coverage. Amazing. Jane, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me today. Thanks, Kane, and I hope to see um, anyone who's listening at the summer. And honestly, if you've got any any cues or um, want to put something in front of me, Jane, at thespinoff.co.nz, I promise I'll in the very least answer your email. Thank you so much to Jane Yee for sharing her insight and experience and being so open with how things work at The Spinoff. This is what I love to see in the podcasting industry. Passionate people sharing knowledge, raising the game of the industry as a whole. If that's your kind of thing as well, and you're listening to this before May 13th, 2023, you should come to the New Zealand Podcasting Summit and be a part of our community. You'll find a link to tickets in the show notes, and I'm not an affiliate of any kind. I just think you should come. And hey, while you're here, and since you're still listening, how about taking a few seconds to give the Podcasters Club a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice? That would be really cool of you. Thanks. Till next time. This podcast was created by Precision Podcasting. We make podcasts sound better. For more about what we do, resources on podcasting, and if you'd like to get in touch, visit precisionpodcasting.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcasting. Yes, that is spelled the way that it sounds. If you'd like to hear more episodes, make sure to hit subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>